Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast that's created exclusively for people who are pursuing donor conception or have donor-conceived children. I'm your host, Lisa Schumann. As a researcher, therapist, and an expert in donor conception, I'm passionate about helping people on their donor conception journey. After decades of work in the field, working on site at some of the best fertility clinics, and through my group, the Center for Family Building, I have run workshops for donor-conceived children and have met with thousands of donors and recipients. I can share the tools and the truths I have learned to help you get the information that you need to have a better path to parenthood or help you tackle tough parenting issues. If it's about donor conception, we are going to talk about it. I hope you enjoy the episode. And today, I'm lucky enough to welcome three wonderful guests, Gina Davis, Jennifer Vespit, and Maya Grobel. These three women are amazing, and they joined forces in 2019 to create a company called Empower with Moxie. Their mission was and is to transform the landscape of embryo donation. At the time, they knew three things about each other. They had a deep passion to make embryo donation better understood. They wanted to make it more inclusive and accessible, and they wanted to build a bridge between the field of reproductive medicine and child welfare where the long-term family functioning was just as prioritized as getting pregnant. So they had a big task at hand. They put this all together, and they come from very different places but have a lot of common themes. So with that, I'd like to introduce you to my guests. I'm welcoming all three of them. I'm lucky enough to have all three on this podcast together, and they're going to tell you a little bit about how they came together and how their lives are very different, but very similar in a lot of ways, and what their mission is for Empower with Moxie. So welcome. Thanks so much for joining me. Jen, do you want to start? Absolutely. Thank you, Lisa, so much for having us. Um, My name is Jen Vesbitt, and I am here because I am an embryo donor. I have twins conceived via IVF that are now 11 years old, and after about four years of getting my storage bill, decided to donate my one remaining embryo. That one remaining embryo is now a six-year-old boy being raised by his mother across the country from me. Throughout the process, I um, founded something called Embryo Donation Support, which is a support hub for embryo donors. And then with Maya and Gina, we co-founded Empower with Moxie, which we like to think of as the hub of education for embryo donation. So I'm Gina Davis. I am a genetic counselor by training. That was where I um, first started in this field of infertility. I had been working in the field for, gosh, about seven years before I ended up having my own infertility struggle. And my husband and I ended up um, going through IVF. And during that process, we I stimulated really well, um, I guess, fortunately, in some ways, but um, we ended up with a lot of remaining embryos, we were able to transfer two embryos that led to our two kids. Um, you know, and we 
then had a really big decision to make. Um, what we eventually did was pursued embryo donation, and we donated the first batch um, of eight embryos to a family member. Um, and we donated a second batch to somebody across the country that we met on face on Facebook. Um, there was there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot. It's been a long journey though. As a, somebody that has a lot of embryos to donate, the first transfer worked for my first recipient, and so they have a four year old little girl now. Um, and that's the one that um, is my family member. And then the other couple was not able to conceive a term pregnancy with a batch of embryos. So we have some remaining embryos that we're now looking at a new family to donate to. Um, and it's just been a very long journey. But through that, I realized there was just a lot of needs in this space that weren't being addressed by the fertility community. And when I met Maya and Jen, I realized we could fill a lot of those gaps um, by providing education, support, and logistical, you know, help to people that are trying to make this, these decisions. And I'm Maya. I'm the recipient of the group. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, so I'm a psychotherapist in this field. And I am also, after a five-year journey to parenthood, trying all kinds of different things. Um, I'm a parent through embryo donation. So I have a soon-to-be eight-year-old daughter. And I made a film called One More Shot with my husband about our journey to parenthood. And I think one of the reasons, yeah, one of the reasons, I guess, why I got so interested in embryo donation, I mean, yes, it was my resolution to my fertility crisis, but also after the film came out, it was really interesting that a handful of people from all over the world started reaching out to me offering embryos. And mind you, this is a decade ago. So when we were going through all of this and it was so surprising, I never, you know, I went through a clinic. It was an unknown program. I had no, I didn't know anything about embryo donation. I just knew I needed to figure out how I was going to have a family. And when I started receiving emails from people, I saw your film, here the photos, here are my children. We have four more embryos. We're happy to donate. I was like, oh my gosh, what it like, it was an amazing feeling. And I thought, wow, this could be done in an open way. Like you could actually know people, you could have resources and contact information for genetic, who's genetically connected to your child. I mean, I, I honestly didn't even really realize that. And, you know, I was a therapist at the time, but I was working, you know, more with, in a different field rather than fertility. And that really sparked my interest, not only in embryo donation, but in donor conception. And, you know, as a patient, you go through things in a very vulnerable state and you're just trying to figure things out. And there are a lot of things that factor into your decision-making from, you know, availability to finances to you know, just all kinds of things. But I really didn't know much about the field. And then I started taking the ASRM courses and really learning about it. And it's shifted my whole career. And like Gina said, there were a lot of gaps we found in how embryo donation was both conceptual, like historically conceptualized and sort of the adoption narrative that gets wound up in things. And um, also just how a lot of clinics were doing things, we thought, oh, maybe there's other ways to approach this. And when I met Jen and Gina, who were both donors in open ways, and they have relationships with their recipients and the children that have resulted, it hit a chord for me personally. And I think for the three of us to join forces and create Empower with Moxie as a resource for education, for support, for tools, for clinics, professionals, and patients to really understand what the implications of this lifelong decision is for families and for children um, long-term. 
because it's not, this isn't just like a decision that happens. You go, oh, okay, we're done with that. Oh, good. You know, it's really understanding that donor conceived people have specific needs and, and rights and the donors, you know, and this is true for gamete donation in general, I think, but specifically for embryo donation, where you have full genetic siblings raised in different homes with different parents, it's really trying to make make meaning of that, make sense of that and feeling confident in how to talk to children on both sides about that, right? Because Jen and Gina both have children who have their genetic sibling raised in a different home and they have to make meaning as as mothers and help help their families understand this choice and what it means and things like that. So anyways, of course, I'm the the less abridged version uh, <laughs> intro, but but that's how we came together. And mm-hmm. since since meeting each other and forming Empower, we've just been really focused on understanding the landscape of embryo donation and understanding what the patient needs are for donors and for recipients, and and the challenges that clinics have with you know how to help people facilitate this and. Um, and we've done a lot of research around it too. And I know you're very evidence-based, Lisa, and you've kind of stay grounded in, in research and that's part of your background. And I think part of what we really appreciate a- about you and having this conversation today, because we, we've Thank also you. looked at the research, you know, and the research shows that people delay decision-making about embryos for five plus years, because it's a really hard thing to mm-hmm. choose to do. And this, the, you know, these studies came out prior to genetic testing being so, PGT-PGS testing being so common, right? And so knowing, you know, that you have good embryos or healthy embryos, knowing the gender or the sex of the embryos, like it all, it adds to the conceptualization of of the embryo and of of what this means to donate and things like that. And so, you know, so we, we the research shows that patients on the donor side really struggle to make a disposition option that feels authentic and good for them. And so we, while we are embryo donation specific, we also really believe, we're non-directive, we really believe that all people need to make the best choice that they can for their families. And part of that is understanding all your disposition options and the implications of what your choices are. You know? Yeah. Well, starting with that, I think one distinction that I I talk about often and uh, sound a little bit like a broken record, but I think it'd be good to just highlight first, can you guys speak a little bit to the audience about the differences between uh, embryo donation and embryo adoption? because I think people don't really know what the differences are. And there are very big differences. I'll start. Um, Well, I think it's really, of course, I think the terminology is very confusing. But when we are really grounded in calling it embryo donation, but truthfully, when people are talking about embryo donation and talking about embryo adoption, they are talking about the same thing. It's just that the way the semantics and the way that it's framed, I think, has implications. And the reason that we are really grounded in calling it embryo donation is because of the legal landscape for the the requirements for adopting a child are very different than receiving donated embryos Um, and what this can mean for family formation, the, the barriers it can place on recipient couples by calling it embryo adoption. But I think that some of the reasons that it's it's caught on is because the lay public 
you know, often they're looking for a sort of kind of a conceptual framework to explain this to their family members and their friends and people in their circles who may not have ever heard of embryo donation and don't understand the implicate, don't understand what this means. So they say, oh, it's basically like adoption, except that I adopted this embryo, you know, I adopted my child as an embryo. And the reason that we think that it can be problematic is because we think it can really, um, number one, it can hurt um, the prospects for recipients in order to, you know, getting through all those barriers to become a family. Secondly, um, we think it can be really harmful to the overall construct of what IVF options might be, might be available to people. If we start conceptualizing embryos as people to be adopted, it can really hurt um, all fertility options and maybe criminalize IVF and other other um, ART procedures. So our, our concern is really, especially in this legal landscape, we really don't want to keep conflating the two, you know, embryo adoption, because it really, it, in, in, according to most people that are in this space, we consider it embryo donation. And there have been a few fringe um, organizations that have really tried to um, align it with adoption. And I think that can be really confusing for patients because we consider embryo donation, even in open embryo donation s- situations, we still call it embryo donation. I'm still, I still donated my embryos regardless mm-hmm. of the fact that I do know my recipients. I just wanted to add to that quickly. And I think that, like sometimes the easiest answer to the question of what's the difference between embryo donation and embryo adoption is nothing and everything all at once. Uh, because like Gina said, it really is essentially the same thing. But I just wanted to add what Gina said, you know, for my recipient's son, um, my recipient, I think at first like thought, oh, you know, is it adoption? Maybe I'll call it that. But but what she came to is, well, he's not adopted and adoption is a very specific thing. And I don't want him conceptualizing himself as being adopted in the same way, you know, if he met a classmate that was that went through traditional mm-hmm. adoption, like it's really quite a different experience. So I think a lot of people have the children in mind when they choose this terminology as well and how the donor conceived children will really, you know, conceptualize their origin story. Yeah. I I also just want to add to that, which you probably have already come across, is that many of the groups that do the embryo adoption or facilitate the embryo adoption are groups that are usually exclusive for um, Christian heterosexual couples, right? And a lot of people who are using donor conception in general there are, of course, heterosexual couples, um, but there are a lot of single parents and a lot of LGBTQ parents. And so those people, unfortunately, are also um, excluded from that those groups. And so I think it's important, you know, also for people to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's was that's really part of our mission is when we started, when we found each other and met each other and started really exploring the landscape, we did see a lot of that, that the history and the narrative around embryo donation, you know, was an adoption narrative and it wasn't very inclusive to all populations. And so we, you know, our education is really inclusive and everything that we do, we keep in mind that so many different people may be exploring these alternative paths to family, you know, to to parenthood and to have their family. Um, and that's that's a very core value for us overall, that people feel welcome and that they it is more accessible for people um, and that they have choice in not only where their embryos go, but where who they connect with and understanding this sort of 
extended family structure that some people are interested or just, you know, knowing that in our world today that's so connected and that has, you know, direct-to-consumer DNA testing obviously has huge implications or has had huge implications for donor conception and just the people are going to connect. And so it's important that, you know, people have options and choices in that and that everybody has a right to pursue parenthood in the different ways. And so when you see people who come to um, Empower, do most people feel open about having um, an open relationship with their donors? Yeah, I, I would say because we've, we're leading with this idea of inclusivity and openness. And I think the three of us, you know, we're really trying to normalize it also that meeting people you don't know and trying to develop a relationship, like it it can be challenging and that's okay. And it's, you know, we have this, we have resources, we have a whole education platform um, that has resources like how to date your donor or recipient and just conceptualizing Mm -hmm. it and normalizing it in different ways. I think people are drawn to us because we are inclusive and because we offer solutions for known donations. And everybody doesn't have, you know, Gina donated within her family. Not everybody has to become family or donate to family or anything like that. Jen donated to a single mom by choice who was across the country from her, but they have a connection. They don't talk every day or text every day or anything like that, but they've worked out what works for them with always the best interest of the, the child or the mm-hmm. in place or the, the, all the children. Um, but we do, we definitely support people in h- how to do this in an open way. I think there's not a ton of, there, there aren't a ton of models for that. Um, and so I think by normalizing it, talking about it, we do events, you know, virtual events every month. We have, I'm doing a support group right now. You know, Jen does these consultations for people who are exploring, like, how do I choose? What kind of relationship option do I want? How do I choose this? Um and we also are getting ready to launch a matching platform, which we're really excited about wow. that will allow for these open connections with facilitation. So yeah, that's been how <laughs> that's exciting. We're all, going, we're all going great because of this process. <laughs> that's but. so exciting. I wanted to add because I, I think that my 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 hit on it um about the normalization, I think it's honestly it's demystifying what these relationships can look like the and and how they can develop organically and and really just to be vulnerable like w- one of the things that i think um attracts people to us is that we are all open books about our stories and we share you know what's going on in our minds we share you know what what we actually went through during the time we were making the decision and we're because we are like we get it we were on the fence about our decisions and these are what the things that i was thinking about because we're really all of us are unbiased about the the choices people make we want them to make decisions that they can live with i think people are drawn to it cuz we're like it's real talk it's like we're actually talking about you know, what does it feel like to, you know, well, if we're on the donor side, what does it feel like to donate your embryos? What does it feel like once a child is born? What does it feel like to go and visit those children? Um, What do our kids talk to us about? How do our kids conceptualize these things on a day-to-day basis? And on Maya's side, um, on the recipient side, she, she showcases that same thing. And I think there, there is a hesitation I'll say with a lot of recipients on the front end to open the door to considering an open relationship. And I think over time, 
it's it's more exposure to these concepts, more exposure to the views of donor conceived people have enabled a lot of those conversations like to wedge them open. And Maya's own experience and sharing what it, it's been like over the, the, t- the course of her journey to parenthood and, and, and now being a parent. Um, I think that we were leaving open the space of like, yeah, I might want that right now. I might want something more closed. And then over time, I know that I'll probably be more curious and just leaving space for like those things to develop and that for the, for the donors to see the recipients side of things and for the recipients to see the donor side of things so that they can come together more in harmony. Um, and I think that's what's lacking a lot of times if you just go into some of these Facebook groups and you just go into the yes. donors group yes. or just go into the recipients group. It's like they're not really talking to each other. And that can be kind of a problem. You know, Gina, I'm not that religious, but all I can say is amen, because it's so, this is, you know, a big problem I think we are having because there is this this understanding about the child's needs and everyone is thinking about that. Very often that just folds into a shaming of the parents and making the parents feel really bad if they don't just kind of immediately get comfortable with it, immediately disclose, immediately just wrap their minds around it. There's really no room for them to warm up to it. And I know in my own personal experience, when I was about to adopt my children and I learned that I needed to tell them about their birth family from day one, my heart dropped to my stomach. That was my immediate reaction. Of course, I move forward and because I knew that was in the best interest of my ch- my children but it's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to kind of grieve that loss and to kind of really accept it in a very full way maybe in a way that you've never accepted it before I uh, I'm sure you see thousands of people but you know the embryo donors that I see raise a lot of these issues like well you know this future child is coming from the same batch of embryos that my child was born from. And so I have this in my mind and that's a hard thing to kind of grapple with or the recipient thinking, you know, very similarly, like I, am I going to feel this full ownership and how do I get past these hesitations that I have? So I, I really applaud what you're saying because I think there needs to be room for everybody to warm up to it in a way that we don't really allow people, um, so easily sometimes. I was just going to add to that because Lisa, that is, we talk about that a lot. And that is because people come on both sides of the equation with hesitations, completely different hesitations. So donor hesitation might be, you know, what if this child feels like my own? And the recipient hesitation might be, hey, I just want to have a child and I don't want to owe the donor anything. And I might not want communication in the beginning. And so I think what makes us unique is because, you know, Gina and I are donors and Maya is a recipient. We've been able to learn both sides. When I was only working with donors, there were some things that never occurred to me. Like it didn't occur to me that uh, a recipient of embryo donation might need like some months after the child is born to just be a family and not be sending the donor a photo mm-hmm. or things like that. So we've learned a lot from each other. And the thing that we always say is, you know, have when you meet a potential um, match, whether it's a donor recipient, you know, have something in mind in terms of how you want the relationship to go. But both parties need to be open for flexibility and feelings changing down the road because once children are born or once, you know, my children, like they feel very close to um, my recipient's Mm. child, like things unfold in ways that you don't 
always know. And one thing I really appreciated about my recipient is we both kind of went in with flexibility. Like, let's just see how this feels as it goes, as opposed to, you know, on this day of the month, you'll send me an update and I'll expect it and I'll feel hurt if you don't. And we've been really open about our own feelings. You know, she said to me once, I'm a very confident person, but I feel really nervous when I'm around you and I'm parenting him. And like, meanwhile, I'm having like my own set of unique feelings and I don't want her to feel that Oh, she's an amazing mom. So it's just really neat to be able to find somebody that you can have these open conversations with and not feel shame about it on either side. That's fantastic. Amen to that too. Yes. Yeah. And it's so much of this is the fear of the unknown. And I feel like Jen leads the charge on this for our little group, but just really being to embrace that we, we, we don't know, but we're doing the best that we can in, in making these decisions that we can in really focusing on what's best for children and in being just honest and transparent. And I think that, um, and there's some things that are scary about this and some things we don't know. Will this child feel like my child? Will they want somebody else to be a mom? You know, all of mm-hmm. these things that I think is, is common. We have research now that shows, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't founded or it's not true. And people bond with children, no matter where the genetics starts, right? And so we have a lot of of things around that, but what we're also lacking, I think, in this this field, especially around embryo donation, is the language to describe, to disclose, right? I think that's been really challenging sometimes because what do you call people, right? And so we've, we're actually doing, a, uh, we're collaborating on a research study with a professor at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, um, around the language use. So in hopes of having tools for people to have on the, on the back end, we say, oh, this is what I'm going to refer to my, you know, sibling who's raised in a different home with different parents and whatnot. And so I think, you know, this concept of, of fear and giving people, helping people work through that and then language and tools and actual conversation starters, you know, and, and that's what we try to provide just tangible things that like, okay, here's how, here's some ideas of how to t- talk about it, how to conceptualize it and how to understand the, I don't know, the emotional landscape or the, or the developmental process of the other side of your match. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, and that's why I think that we're, you know, we've come together in this way and and like, you know, Jen's learned some things for me because I, you know, I shared maybe, maybe not feeling that confident in the beginning and I didn't have donors that I knew, but there's a sense of protection there or, or just like, oh my gosh, I couldn't mm-hmm, even imagine mm-hmm. if somebody else like saw the hot mess that I am at this exact moment <laughs> and really trying to get to know your, your, your child and feel that bond and connection. And once I felt confident, then it was like, oh my gosh, I don't have information that I wish I had, right? And then it became a whole other kind of thing personally. And I think that's where um, we're trying to help people see the bigger picture, but also respect the process and the development. And um, and on the other side, you know, Jen's shared her feelings when her recipient got pregnant, you know, and it's like, maybe she didn't want to know everything all the way, or maybe there were feelings that come and all of mm-hmm. this stuff is, is really normal. And it's okay to have these thoughts and feelings. And, and I think just making people understand that it's okay is um is very valuable to us and very important to us that's fantastic it's great so when people come to you what what do you find you hear most i mean we talked about some of these ideas about you know fears are there usually about the fears or about questions about how do i find an embryo that's healthy or 
you know, where should I go or who do I trust and what kind of legal documents do I need? What sorts of things are you hearing most? Well, I think the biggest thing I hear from donors is I don't know where to start. And that's especially Mm -hmm. if they're current clinic is only offering non-directed or unknown donations because, Mm -hmm. you know, that is still happening quite often. And with more education out in the world, people are choosing to have more directed known. So I think it's really, um, I don't know where to start. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think in terms of when recipients come? I think it's more like, how do I... (laughs) where the embryos, right? Yeah, it's how do I how do I find an embryo? <laughs> like, how do I go about doing this? I think it's, especially in a known way, I think it's, it, it is honestly somewhat easier when you go through a clinic and you don't have, you know, you, you're, the sacrifice is information, right? And I think there are some people and I'm actually I'm doing a group right now, and there are eight people in the group. And it's really interesting to see the different paths, you know, they've, they've, people are very determined when you're in this position, especially women, I hate to say it like that, but you are just determined, you're going to figure this stuff out. And, Mm -hmm. and they do, and they do it in really um, specific ways that feel right to them. But I think it's a little confused. The landscape is confusing for embryo donation, and it's very fragmented. And it's hard to know where to go and how to, you know, and then you, if you connect with somebody, you know, tested embryos or not tested embryos, what if somebody only has one embryo? Mm -hmm. It's like, there's just, there's so many decisions. I think it's very overwhelming. And then I, every clinic kind of has a different protocol. And so then we get people who come to us with, you know, one, how do I, where do I start? How do I find an open embryo match? I think it's especially hard for people with diverse backgrounds. You know, we, we see that a lot, mixed race couples or just, you know, just in general, I think donor conceptions challenging um when you have in diverse populations and things like that but also what do i say when i meet someone mm-hmm. and should i should i lie if somebody says they're they don't want to donate to somebody who is xyz or whose religion is this that or the other should i not tell the truth right because i really want that right and it's sort of really helping people tell the truth because there are long-term lifetime connections being made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so really trying to help people make those decisions, but also my clinic says that this is the FDA rule and, you know, but then I looked here and it's something different. And I think it's, I mean, it is honestly, it is a little bit of a hot mess um, in general on the logistics side. And so we're, you know, and that's part of what we're working on with Moxie Matching is not just matching people, but also helping to facilitate the logistics and yeah. really helping people understand, you know, the FDA and, you know, different elements of this. Um, you know, we always recommend legal contracts, obviously, psychological support and consultations, genetic counseling, you know, there are things and there are ancillary professionals that can help people through this process. And I think once you have your team, then it becomes a lot easier to facilitate. But you know, sometimes it can be challenging at the clinic, some clinics don't want to accept embryos that are shipped from somewhere else, you know, and so we we have solutions for this um, in different ways. But um, but I think that's a lot of a lot of I'm actually talking to somebody tomorrow and the title of her email to me was help me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And she matched with somebody, but the embryos are in this state and the donors are here and I'm here. And where do I how do I make sense of this? Where do I go from here? I think a lot of that is an offshoot of, you know, the clinics for years just doling out embryos in their internal embryo donation programs and making it 
really as simple as it could be um, in a time where there, there were no kind of at the time, there weren't any consequences to them doing this. So it felt like, okay, a solution to our patients that didn't conceive at the end of their fertility journey using their own gametes or even sometimes donor gametes. Okay, we, we have a batch of embryos in the pantry, essentially, um, that they could, they could dole out. And I think that there's this huge shift because of DNA testing, because of social media, because of the voices we're hearing from donor conceived people, that suddenly those models, they don't work anymore. And we need to start bringing in the allied health professionals that can help, that can actually do the more complicated work that you know it requires, the mental health work, the legal work, the genetic counseling work, that if we utilize those resources, we can actually make these, fun- these families so much better off in the long run than we could if we just got them pregnant a little bit faster by giving them something that was just, oh, here we've got some anonymous um, baby seeds, essentially, Maya likes to call them, um, that we're going to give mm-hmm. you. And I think that as we move, though, there's going to be the, there's this big obstacle um, with the clinics that they don't like this. They don't like having, they don't, it's complicated. It's too complicated. And so we're in this place of trying to really shift those norms and trying to continue this conversation to say, okay, yeah, it's a little harder, but it's for the best of everybody's, it's in the best interest of all the patients long-term um, to just do it right. Absolutely. I agree with you hundred percent. And that is a tricky situation because you do have some, well, I've helped to create an embryo donor program at the clinic where I used to work. And we did have some people who said, yes, I'm willing to undergo genetic and psychological screening and all of that so that the recipients will know exactly what they're getting, right? And you don't know somebody at first. You, it takes, a, as we were saying, it's a long process of getting to know someone. So you don't know that. And people are kind of going in on blind faith if they don't know that. And so you want that to be possible. And certainly in adoption, we don't have that, which is, you know, makes it tough and you really have to take a leap of faith. And so it's so nice if you can do that in embryo donation, but not every embryo donor wants to do that, right? They sometimes feel like, you know, in my experience, they feel like, you know what, this is enough. I'm giving this huge gift. I don't want to also go through screening and all of that. I feel like it's enough that I'm giving my embryos. And I certainly appreciate their point of view, but I think on the other hand, it's very difficult for the recipients. Yeah, I really push back on that when I hear it, but I don't hear it very often. And I don't know if it's a changing norm now, but um, particularly we're doing a a funded study um, through Empower with Moxie for genetic counseling for recipients and donors who are willing to be part of a survey. It's really easy to participate, but they can what, what we're finding from the survey um, study, from the survey results that we're already seeing is everybody that's opted in so far, of course, it's self-selected. Um, everybody that's opted in is like really okay with this appointment to share their medical history, understanding that this is an opportunity that's to great. share it with a professional so it can be translated and to the recipient family in a way that's meaningful. And it's really not that big of a deal. It's, you know, an hour of, it's an hour long conversation. Um, And yes, we're going to gather your your history in the best way we can. I mean, you know, if we can get updates over time, fantastic. I think that when we hear that pushback from donors of like, oh, you know, yes, I want to donate my embryos, but no, I don't want to do all these steps. I personally, I push back on it a little bit just because I feel like it's almost the least they can do (laughs) if they're going to be offering, you know, if they're, yes, they're, they're, they're donating these embryos and that could be that, that family could, you know, become a family that way. But 
Mm-hmm. That child is not that child that could result from that, that that is such important information for them that I feel like if they're not willing to go through just a little bit of, you know, phone appointments and maybe a saliva sample or a blood sample, it, it may not be something that they really understand the depth of what they're consenting to, because there's probably going to be a lot more questions in the future. And if they feel if they feel at odds with putting effort into just like those quick screening appointments, I, I'm wondering if they've really given it enough thought to become a donor. Yeah. And there aren't a ton of embryo donors out there. There's so many more people who want to be recipients, right? And so that I think that's it. I find that that helps health professionals reconcile with because they really agree that it's best to go through all of that. On the other hand, they want their patients to be able to have children. And, you know, as you probably have seen, I've seen Lots of people who wouldn't be able to have children otherwise, right? They've gone through IVF and they've done everything they can and they are out of money and they're, right? And they just feel like there's no other way. You've been there, Maya. So, you know, if, you know, if it comes down to using an embryo from a family you don't really know that well, you don't have that information on it, people can feel very desperate just to do it anyway. And it is tough. I mean, that's what happens in adoption. And, you know, my, I can speak from my own experience. My son, I did 23andMe on my children and my son is a cystic fibrosis carrier. And there's a lot of things in their genetics that, and in their background that I'm only finding out now that they're older. So it's, it is difficult, but, you know, I think it's tough also for the recipients who really are longing for a baby and don't have many choices. It's like we're trying to help remove some of these barriers and simplify the process while still staying connected to best practices for Mm -hmm. all people involved, right? And so it's a little bit, it's a delicate balance, you know, to figure out, it's like, because the clinics want things to be really easy and fast and, you know, whatever. And And so do the patients. And so do, yeah, and so do the patients. And I think, you know, for the donors, there are some things that, um, you know, some sometimes donors have to go through a lot of hoops at some clinics that aren't totally necessary, but then the clinics don't actually know all of the regulations all the way. And sometimes they're very arbitrary rule. Like we talked to one clinic once and they had a, you know, two embryo minimum or something like that, if you're going to donate. And I remember asking the doctor, oh, well, why is that in place? And the doctor literally said, I, I don't know. We just that's, that's the rule or something like that. And I thought, well, <laughs> can't you change the rule if it's, yeah. you know, Jen had right. one embryo yeah. and that made one child for one recipient. So, you know, I think having choice and that was, you know, we've always grounded ourselves in this idea of empowering choice in embryo donation. And part of that choice is informed consent and really knowing yes. and educating yourselves before anything else, but also providing education and support for clinics to be able to understand, okay, here's, you know, here's the best practices. So some of these clinics mm-hmm. will go through all of these hoops to make, make a, somebody go back and do a physical 10 years later or, or certain things like that. And yet they don't have legal contracts, right? So you're like, well, if you're going to require something, how about like that? Right. Or whatever. Yes. But, you know, again, we're on everybody's side. We know it takes all these pieces to come together and, work together in order to help people like myself who are, you know, at the end of the line, didn't have the the finances or the, I don't know, emotional resources to keep going in any way, shape or form, um, have a family. And, you know, I wouldn't have my child without this as an option. And, mm-hmm. you know, so obviously it's very near and dear to my heart, but I think just people need to just know how to simplify this, but also do what's best for 
the families and especially the children who who come out of um, these arrangements. Yes, I agree 100%. And I feel like I could speak with you ladies all day long. There's so much to talk about. Unfortunately, we do have to wind down, but um, I hope you'll come back and I hope we can speak some more. And I want to hear um, about how this matching program is coming along. It's very exciting. I think that's fantastic. So I don't know how you all have so much time for you all have jobs and lives we and don't. kids and you still make this happen. It's really a beautiful thing. Well, thank you so much for having us. This is just such a passion for us. And yeah, we're, we're, we're appreciative to be able to have this conversation today. That's great. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. You're welcome. You're welcome. And to all of you out there, um, I'd like you to be able to reach out to these wonderful women. Um, how can people reach you? Uh, well, our website, which is kind of the hub of all of our, you know, different channels is um, empowerwithmoxie.com and moxie is spelled M-O-X-I. So if you go to our website, you can um, find a lot of our educational and support resources. We're also on social uh, all the social media channels as at Empower with Moxie. And um, our upcoming matching service will be called Moxie Matching. You can find it through our website, but it will also be at moxiematching.com. Again, with one eye, because it takes a little moxie and we like to be a little different. <laughs> it's great. Fantastic. Well, it's wonderful work that you're doing, and it's so lovely to be in touch with you, ladies. And for all of you out there, I hope you take advantage of this wonderful resource. Um, these women are spending a lot of time and energy to help people, and um, they're out there, so please take advantage of it. And thank you so much for joining today. As always, I hope that you really enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you subscribe so you won't miss any more. And we'd love to have you back for another time and uh, place for us to talk about more of these issues. Thanks so much for joining.